We are coming to the closing section of this armor, and as we think about the hymn that we just sang, I can't help but think about an incident in the life of George Whitfield, when on one particular occasion he was preaching, and he was a tremendous preacher. He had, he had the pipes for it well before you had any kind of amplification. And apparently somebody fell asleep under his preaching in the front pew. And when he saw this, he, he, I think he amped up a little bit, increased the volume. Still, it didn't wake him. Again, he raised the volume to try to wake him. And finally, he'd had it. And he stomped his foot. And the person jumped out of his chair, jumped out of his seat. He said, it's one thing for you to fall asleep under the words of men. But how dare you fall asleep under the word of God? And that has stuck with me. We need to be awakened. Paul recognizes the need for uh, the spirit and power for him to be bold as an ambassador. And that's what brings him to this particular point as he wraps up his instruction in Ephesians chapter 6 on the, on the armor of God. He closes with a prayer plea for himself in these two last verses. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. As he asks for prayer for himself, we need to recognize right out of the gate that he is not doing something in a self-serving way. It's not like he's just focused upon himself. It's very far from that. He's not asking for simply, uh, simply for success, He's not asking merely for escape from his imprisonment or even personal strength in the face of captivity. And a trial we have to recognize before the most powerful uh, monarch of the day. He is going to be standing before Nero. But what Paul is really getting at and asking for in this closing section is that the gospel would be lifted up no matter what and shine forth in its excellent graciousness and power. Paul is in prison. He's chained around the clock to a Roman guard. He has known much suffering. But these things, as we read elsewhere, he counted as a light affliction in contrast to the glory of Jesus Christ who gave himself for him, who loved him, and who has atoned for all of his sins. It is a striking exegetical point to be drawn here. Paul asks prayer something as a subset of the previous piece of armor that we looked at last time in the last month. Praying with all prayer and petition, praying, praying prayers in verse 18, in the spirit, on the alert, with perseverance and petition for all the saints. And so this is a subset of that. And also pray for me. Pray for this situation. It's striking. It's a subset. But the gospel is never a subset. Um, it is the substrata of the whole armor of God. Indeed, of the whole book of, of Ephesians. Um, so that needs to be taken into account. Should we not love how Paul ends this armor in this way? He ends with the gospel. He ends with the good news. What will you do without the gospel? You will not stand against the devil and his wiles in the evil day, that's for sure. You will not put on the full armor of God uh, and do battle with him, that is for sure. 
And without the gospel, you will not win the well-fought battle of faith. That, too, is for certain. For Paul, there is a greater chain than those that are wrapped on his, on his uh, wrists and on his ankles. A greater chain than is made of iron. He is under the obligations of the gospel to all men. As he wrote to the Romans originally, he is eager to preach the gospel. I am under obligation. I must preach. He's unashamed of the righteousness of God in Christ. He's unashamed of the power of God unto salvation. And by that very, very thing, he is kind of putting it before us. Are we of the same mind? If our apostle, this apostle to the Gentiles, is so committed to go to such lengths because of the preciousness of the gospel, are we not to have the same attitude as he? So this passage guides us undoubtedly to pray for ministers, to pray for the heralds of the gospel, to pray for all pastors and teachers and missionaries and those who are reaching the lost. As well, though, but as well we are to pray for the benefits that come from praying for those who minister the word of God to us because it's our own life that is at stake as well. How could the original readers not resonate with Paul's remarks of the good news of Jesus, which had saved them when they heard of the gospel? These who are hearing in Ephesus Paul's plight in in Rome, they had heard Paul. They had heard this gospel. It had saved them. It had changed them. It had forgiven them of their sins. It had taken them off of hell's way and placed them on heaven's way. And so to hear Paul ask for prayer regarding the mystery of the gospel and its effectiveness, that should resonate in our hearts. This is what gave us life. And therefore, we should turn and pray for those who bring the word of truth to us. Let us look then at four points here briefly this morning in our communion meditation, beginning with the central point, what the apostle calls the mysterion Evangelion, the mystery of the gospel. That's the center of this section with boldness, the mystery of the gospel at the end of verse 19. We understand easily what gospel means. Gospel means glad tidings. It is good news. It's the word of salvation from heaven. When we think of our sinfulness, our fallen estate, we expect from God judgment and wrath. We're surprised, however, when the father of the prodigal embraces us by giving us his very own son and welcoming us into his salvation by grace. We understand what gospel means. Why does Paul add the word mystery, the mystery of the gospel? Well, this is a word that is found frequently throughout Ephesians. If we had done a whole exposition of this great book, we would have bumped into it back in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The mystery of God's will regarding redemption. And then we would have found it again in chapter 3. The mystery of the new covenant revelation. As never before, God has now revealed his full uh, gospel, as it were, in particular to the Gentiles, and how the Gentiles are to be made fellow heirs with the Jews. It's not that the Old Testament didn't see that the Gentiles would come in. They did. But how they would come in, and how they have come in, is to be on the exact same footing as the Jews. That's the unexpected part, and it comes through the fullness 
of the revelation of the Son of God in the flesh. And then thirdly, we find the word mystery at the end of chapter 5. As Paul um, teaches on the topic of the marriage union between husbands and wives, that originally as God gave it, that was a picture of Christ and his church, which is a great mystery, he said. That even from Adam and Eve, God has a purpose to bring forth a, a union, a marriage with heaven. The important point to grasp then in the mystery of the New Testament is that it is not something that cannot be understood or cannot be known or is just for the elite few, but rather it's an open secret. I like that translation, actually. The word mystery can kind of lead us off astray. When we think of mystery, we think of something that's, that's very hard to, to discern. Um, you, you all like mysteries, don't you? Like mystery novels? Any of you? Mystery? I, I hate mysteries. I hate them. I'm not going to say hate. I dislike. Because I never get it till the end. My wife, my kids are sitting there going, oh, we see this a mile away. And I'm going, huh? So I feel bad about myself. I don't like feeling bad about myself. Anyway, mystery here, however, is something that is only revealed by revelation. God has made this known, and it could only be known by, by the word of God. He has shown these things openly. They are not hidden anymore. They're supernaturally unveiled. Now, as I said, the gospel was already in the Old Testament. It's not as though the Old Testament is law, and now we have uh, the mystery of grace that comes out. Grace is found from Genesis 3:15 onward. But um, while we see grace in all of those covenant arrangements... From the fall to the flood to Abraham and Moses and from David to the prophets, we come to the new covenant in a fuller way than had previously been seen. The realities of the gospel were, as it, as it were, somewhat obscured and hidden under the types and shadows and awaited the arrival of the Son of Righteousness, Jesus the Messiah. So what Paul is getting at here by using the term mystery is not something esoteric or unknowable, um, but rather the full revelation of the glad tidings of the Savior. That's what he's getting at. Pray for me that I can get the fullness of the richness of the grace of Christ across in my speaking, across in my ministry, across in my, my counseling, my, my interchanges with unbelievers, my preaching, and so forth. That the, the good news of a Savior who suffered and is now risen, who offers salvation to all of the nations and is returning with great glory to bring in a fully restored and glorified world. Who is, who is sufficient to bring these things across? This is the first prayer item then, that ministers would rightly handle the full and rich wealth of the word of God. Is this not a need in every generation as new ministers replace old ones? And as the truth needs to continue to go forth. Now, New Testament ministers, teaching elders, build upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and have an ambassadorship as well. Christ owns the ministry of his servants. It is Christ who builds his church and uses preachers and preaching. Gurnall comments in his massive work on the armor. He says, a greater than man is there regarding the pulpit. A greater than man is there. Master and servant are both at work. And that's why we approach worship and this part of the worship with an element of solemnity, sacredness, the handling of the word of God 
aright. We need, as God's sheep, uh, not only the gospel in its richness, but as well the authority of the word in our lives. We need his spirit bringing us often into the presence of God to teach us and to hold us, as it were, uh, in the faith. We are reminded that we are all prone to wander. There's not a single one of us who does not think better of themselves than they should. We can harden ourselves against the way. We pick up the ways of the world as we walk through the world, and, and that carries with us even as we step into the sanctuary. We can be overcome by a dark, twisted, and broken culture. A world not only of sin, but of sadness, and a world of coldness and backwardness to God. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the world. The world wants you to make this life your all in all. Be transformed by the world that is to come where Christ is king. Be transformed by the kingdom of God. And so the word and its authority comes across here. Pray that I would, I would speak in the right way, that it's not my authority, it's not because I say so, but because the Lord Jesus says so, because God says so. When Paul wrote to Timothy of the dangers that, that were coming upon the world in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he directed him, this is your answer to these things. It is the Holy Scriptures. It's the word of God that is going to help you against these imposters, these, these evil men, uh, all of this wickedness that is going to crop up, especially in the last days. And what an authority that word bears. We're familiar with these most excellent lines. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the preacher, may be adequate equipped for every good work. He goes on in chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. You feel the authority? You feel the weightiness of this? And by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You preach whether things are going well or not. Or as somebody put on that, that phrase, in season and out of season, take opportunities, make opportunities. Continue to plow forward. Um, what a picture this is. He goes on then and says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So dear ones, how refreshing that we have a thus says the Lord greeting us in a ministry that is set apart for that very purpose each and every Sunday. What you and I get to do every Lord's Day is such a privilege to be able to come and to meditate and contemplate upon the riches of those things that matter absolutely, completely. This is the expression of Christ's very own headship in and over you, his church. The Bible teaches a unity, a togetherness in his church, it, just, it doesn't speak of just a, a me and Jesus approach. Jesus and his whole body are one. They are made up of many members, and we are all members of that one body through his spirit. What army has a hope of winning if it's scattered and running in 10,000 different directions? The power and authority of Christ in the word draws us together around, as Ephesians says, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one unity, one God and Father in one spirit in our Savior. So there's the, there's the authority that he's asking for, as well as focusing upon the gospel. Um, and then thirdly, the mystery of the gospel is number one, the ministerial mission of having the authority of God in his life is accompanied then with messaging that gospel. This is the best word I could come up with that begins with the letter M, of getting through to people, not only authoritatively, but effectively. I've, I've been in situations where I thought I've taught, I've, I could sense the Spirit's presence, and you can, you can tell that the word is coming across with authority, and yet the power is lacking in reaching the hard-hearted. Paul, in, in, this, in these verses, uses the phrase to make known. He would make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. That's the effectiveness. He's concerned about making known the unfathomable riches of Christ. It's more than the word. It's more than the word with authority. It is the word with power that he uh, is asking for prayer about. And so it is with the pastoral ministry. We have the treasures of Christ in the word. We have men who are trained, hopefully, to rightly understand the word as it is given by God. But we can fail and fail miserably at communicating that message to the church and to the world in a penetrating way without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only by the Spirit of Christ that the Word of God becomes effectual. It's not that the Word of God in and of itself is not effective. It is powerful. But there needs to be the opening of the mind. There needs to be the creation of good soil in the heart. And the Word needs to be accompanied with power as well as authority. It's not a matter of mere giftedness. It's precisely here that the minister worth his salt knows his own deficiencies in getting the truth across. Who's sufficient to bring things old and new to the often bewildering variety of a congregation? Even just to help one person in all of the trials and, and, and tribulations and aspirations and callings upon one soul is far beyond the ability of any single person to be able to counsel and to lead. That's a work that is equaled only by God's hand alone, much less a whole congregation. So again, here the minister, worth his salt, knows the difference between presenting the word and the word with power. We should know how fully we need heaven's hand to bear the word along. And so the minister and the, the minister too are pulling in the same direction, prayerfully praying for the blessings of God upon the preached word. That's where the cry for prayer is so urgent, that the pastor's words would be found indeed, as the Old Testament puts it, as apples of gold and settings of silver. Praying is what prepares the ground. It, it is not only the spirit accompanying the word, but the spirit opening ears, opening eyes, making good soil for the seed to be planted and to be rooted and eventually to bring forth real fruit for God. The word of God is to soften and to break us. It is like rain and a hammer. It conforms us not only in our thinking, but in our hearts and in our actions to the good ways of, uh, of our king. And that's what we as God's people need. 
instruction, correction, encouragement in your walk with the Lord. Preaching and teaching is, in a word, to be powerfully persuasive and is to change us into the enrapturing image of our Savior. The preaching that does not bring us closer to Jesus is not biblical preaching. The ministry needs heaven's blessings to that end. And does this not glorify the Lord Jesus when that happens? Christ owns that kind of a ministry. Does this not stand out in a world of darkness? God's ministers warmly charging their congregations with the burning light of heavenly truth. And church members in turn going forth in the glow and life of a sovereign and most loving redeemer. When people are touched and go forth from under the means of grace in that way. That's the kind of, of life that turns the world upside down. Cold pastors make for cold churches. And cold churches have little or no effect upon a dead world. A cold hand is recognized by the world. Now finally, we see that none of the above leaves the minister out of the process. He is to be a fit vessel. And so further and fourthly, Paul asks prayer for what we can call manliness in ministry. He asks for boldness. He asks for courage. He asks for this strengthening in his ability to make known the mystery of the gospel. Manly courage is vital to the life of the pastor in serving the church. O Lord, shackle these hands, these ankles, this body, but let this tongue be free to stoutly preach your word. Paul asks twice for boldness. Not only boldness in the matter of the gospel, but in the manner in which the gospel is to be preached. That's remarkable, isn't it? That Paul would ask for courage. That Paul the apostle would ask for boldness, for strength. This is Paul. Read the book of Acts. Paul is a tiger. I have no doubt in my mind. He talks about when I am weak, that I am strong. I recognize I cannot trust in myself, but Paul was a man of adventure. There's no question about his personality. Retrace his steps. Or courage led him to the island of Cyprus with Barnabas uh, to do battle with, uh, with Elymas, the sorcerer, and to Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Derby and Lystra, and to face such opposition, to be banished from one town and then stoned in another. And after that whole tour, turn to Barnabas and go, hey, let's go back. Or to, or to venture out and sail across the Aegean Sea to step out of Asia Minor, which would be his comfort zone, to go to, be, to bring forth the first European convert in Lydia at Philippi, and then to Thessalonica, where again he is ushered out and eventually to stand alone down in Athens of Greece and to go to that horrible place of Corinth, which Pastor Don preached on last week. And then eventually to Ephesus, where the ministry was so effective that the economy of idols was turned upside down, caused a riot in the temple, and Paul had to be restrained from going in. That's the kind of man he is, a man who bristled with courage, ready to be bold, ready to deal with danger, even to go to Jerusalem, even if it meant his death, even to Rome 
in shackles, if that be God's will. So I do believe Paul had a natural amount of courage. But that alone will not do in the service of the Lord. God does take the weak and the shy and makes them bold. Don't think that this just applies to those who have natural gifts. There have been many such men and women and young people, children who have been strong and bold for Christ and have spoken uh, to adults the truth of God's word. I think especially if you want to read such an account, read the life and journal of Henry Martin, M-A-R-T-Y-N. Henry Martin was a man who had no business going to the mission field. Such a, such a shy man, such a recluse, great scholar. How God made that man bold is just so glorious. Read about when he had translated the Bible into the, the language of the Muslims. And he was debating, the, the, debating the, the, the religious leaders over Jesus being God. And how he stood up against them. He said, you better, they told him, you better say that uh, that Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. And he said, the Lord is God and Jesus is the son of God. Surrounded by them. And God protected them. So, just wow. Good stuff. But why this need for boldness? Well, first, because God is being represented here. God's name must be hallowed and exalted. We're not to be backwards or cowardly in the things of God. Of all things that we are to be bold in, it's to be in the things of the Lord. Secondly, the obstacles that are clearly in men to the gospel, who would prefer us to be silent regarding the truth, who would muzzle it or at least muffle it. The church father, Tertullian, made the observation that the first response to the truth seems always to be hatred. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. You know, I, I don't know why we're so afraid to share the gospel. I know, I know why we're, we, we say we're afraid, because we don't want to be rejected. Own it. It's a cowardice on our part, right? I don't like being rejected. I just earlier told you how I don't even like, I don't, I'm uncomfortable with not knowing how the movie ends. That's how pathetic we are. We need boldness. And we should have boldness in these matters. Um, expect opposition. Don't be surprised by it. In fact, maybe glory in it. Well, I'm saying something right. I'm, I'm getting a reaction here. Not that you should just aim at that. Um, but that reaction must be overcome, and therefore that takes courage. That takes um, strength. And then thirdly, the temptation then for us to hold back on a part or even all of the word, the whole counsel of God, and pare down the message to do what? To make it fit with the people of our culture. This has caused such mayhem in the kingdom of God today. You cannot even fathom how much trouble the idea of we're going to try to fit the gospel to people has caused such devastation in the church of the Lord Jesus, has damaged so many souls by twisting the scripture to fit with the tastes of unbelieving men and women. It's our tastes that need to be changed. We need to have our taste buds. We love the garbage of sin, and that needs to be changed. And we need to ask God to change that. And the gospel alone does that. So the need for the people of God to have courage and boldness, and a fearful, weak uh, leader does nothing but send shivers through the body of the church. Cowardice and cringing in church leadership 
is debilitating to the Lord's army. Bravery and courage are the legs of the soldier. And when the leadership does not have that, it chops us off at the legs as a church. Boldness reflects the Lord's place in our life, the reality that he is indeed God. He is God to us. He is our God. And so as such, it is not the believer who should be trembling or afraid. It's the unbeliever who should be trembling and afraid. What a wonderful picture that is in the closing chapters of the book of Acts. As Paul has an opportunity, fulfillment, a part of his commission to stand before kings. King Agrippa is, is in his throne. And here is, here is Paul in his chains, humbled, a prisoner. And he's testifying about God and his righteousness and his salvation. And in that setting, it's not Paul who's quivering. It's the king on the throne. Why? Because of the boldness and the courage of the gospel bearer in that context. For good reason, God has called you to be bold and faithful for him in all things, small and great. Pray for your pastor then. Ministers are important, but only because they are ministers of Christ. In themselves, they are weak and contemptible, as contemptible as the next man. Their feet are made of clay. Their shoulders are no wider than the best of Adam's children. But as redeemed, regenerated, royal weapons in the hand of the king, oh, they are as dangerous to the kingdom of darkness as they come. God uses faithful ministers powerfully to push back the kingdom of the wicked one. And therefore, they are priceless. They are precious. Think about that. Just close with this. I remember reading in, uh, of the Presbyterian Church in the colonial period. I think this happened in Virginia. There was a man who came to a particular town. They had had a pastor. They had had a ministry for decades. And this man began his ministry with a sermon. And it was said that that one sermon preached seemed to do more good than years of sermons before that. That's the nature of God owning his word when we are enabled by the Spirit to preach his truth in this way. Such are the arrows of God's word. The enemy must fall beneath them. Paul knows this, and he stirs us up to pray with all prayer, not only for our own battle, but especially for the ministry of the mystery of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for increased faith and trust in you, the Lord of the universe, to pry us away from trusting in ourselves or even to trust in the good gifts that you give to us. Give us that faith that is expectant of things from your hand, that indeed you will work in our midst, that you will work in our lives. Give this dear congregation, Lord, a lively faith and hope and love in you at every turn. May the name of Christ be exalted as it should be in each of our hearts and in this place. Um, Lord, may your name be lifted above all things in the heavens and the earth and below the earth. Give your ministers, your teachers, the freedom of expression uh, to make your truth known. Open wide their lips and their lives. Fill it with the gold, silver, and precious stones of your truth, of, of your gospel, of your grace, and remove all the wood, hay, and stubble 
of the wisdom of men upon which the church too frequently relies, a wisdom which you have already said is foolishness. Oh, Lord, we pray for the pulpits of our nation. We pray, Father, for the heralding of your truth. Even as this message goes forth from this place, we know that there are countless thousands and tens of thousands of other pulpits that are preaching and people sitting under the word. Lord, we pray for a return to what, you, what Paul gave to Timothy. Preach the word in season and out of season. Be faithful uh, to lift up the very living word of God uh, that the world might hear her God speaking the truth in her ears. We pray this, Father, not only for our nation, but for the world, uh, that your kingdom would be established in, in your holy scripture. How we love you, thank you for the Bible. How we love our Bibles, and help us, Lord, to live by it all the days of our life. We thank you and bless you that indeed you are our life, our salvation, our all in all. Lord, may that be powerfully communicated, uh, faithfully so, from each of our lives as we receive from your pulpit ministry that good portion that we need each week. As we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.